And uh, the title of today's message is, When Rules Collide. You know, in our culture, there are words that really should never be said, and certainly not in mixed company or in a public setting. And while growing up, did your parents ever outlaw certain words just because they sounded like other words they should never be said? Yeah, you know the words that I'm talking about. And, and I'm certain that many of us have experience with this sort of thing. And hey, what was it that your mother told you that would happen if she heard those things coming out of your mouth? I remember it all too well. I will wash your mouth out with soap is what my mom always said. And now, I don't know about you, but my mother said it. She believed it. I may or may not have believed it, but guess what? She did it. And I mean, she took that bar of soap, held me in, I think, some kind of headlock, and just stuck that thing in my mouth and really gave my tongue a good bathing. Yuck! And guess what? She didn't use something that like uh, ivory soap. No, she used that nasty brown soap. Yeah, like, like, like any soap would taste good, right? But the point is that rules were, were put in place in order that we didn't break the original rules that were put in place. And our parents were not the first to establish these secondary rules to keep someone from breaking the primary rule. Thousands of years ago, there were religious leaders that made a career of it. By the time Jesus came on, on the scene, there were about more than 500 rules that had been added to the uh, Mosaic Law. These regulations, which kept on growing, was called the tradition of the elders. And the sole purpose for this was to prevent the Jews from accidentally breaking one of the original commandments. One example is the Law of Moses forbade commerce on the Sabbath. So a clause was added which forbade the handling of money on the Sabbath thus ensuring that the original Sabbath law would not be violated. Here's the big problem with that. Over the years, the religious leaders had assigned to these traditions a status that was equal to the law of Moses. And to the continual distress and embarrassment of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus had very little regard for their traditions. He was a bit of a rebel, and while he and his disciples observed the Mosaic Law, he seemingly would go out of his way to violate these man-made laws. you got to love that. As we read many places in Scripture, his actions often got him in trouble with the Jewish hierarchy. In the book of Matthew, we see recorded one such event that got Jesus into hot water. Namely, he decided not to wash his hands before he ate. And what did his disciples do? They, of course, followed suit. And uh, this was very troublesome to the uh, Pharisees. You see, the tradition of the elders not only required the washing of hands, but it also went into great lengths to explain how one should wash his hands before eating. They had to wash from the tips of their fingers all the way down to the elbows. And this wasn't just about cleanliness. This rule was designed to keep people from accidentally becoming ceremonially unclean. That is, it kept someone from unintentionally putting the wrong thing or something that had, something that had touched the wrong thing into his or her body. 
But washing your hands before a meal was not required by the law of Moses. When you look at this, it would seem that washing before meals is a good thing to do. But the problem is that the rabbis had made it a standard for righteousness. And again, over a period of time, this rule was elevated to having the same significance in the Jewish community as the original ten handed down at Mount Sinai. But Jesus ignored this rule and didn't instruct his disciples to apply it either. You can read about this, you can read this, how this entire scene played out in Matthew 15, 1-20, and I encourage you to do that. These religious guys are standing in the presence of a man who heals the sick and calms the seas with his words, and yet they get ticked off because he and his followers didn't wash their hands before they ate. Jesus, of course, turns it back on them by answering their question with a powerful question of his own. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of tradition? When they accuse Jesus of ignoring their attack on laws, he in turn accuses them of breaking God's law in order to keep one of their tacked-on laws. Then, without giving them time to respond, he just rips into them with a critical mini-sermon. He holds nothing back and calls them hypocrites for nullifying the Word of God for the sake of man-made traditions. He really did a number on them. When he was done with the Pharisees, Jesus turns his attention to his disciples and picks up on the cleanliness theme as recorded in Matthew 15:17. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Then he drives the point home in verse 18. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. He was conveying the message that God is not nearly uh, concerned about what goes into our mouth as he, uh, mouths as he is with what comes out of our mouths. And this was something new for the Jews. They were very cautious about what they put into their mouths. But they, now they were being told that God was more offended by what came out than what, than what went in. But most but what probably grabbed them the most here was the comment that things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And I'm sure that most of us have on many occasions said things that we really didn't mean. Uh, we covered this uh, exact thing in previous segments. Uh, you know, we cover our mouths and say, I don't know where that came from. But if Jesus was around, he would respond, I do. It came from within. But it came from from your heart. But it gets even worse. Jesus goes on to say in verse 19 that the heart is not only responsible for our words, but also for our actions as well. And based on what Jesus is saying here, we have to recognize that our mind is not the source of all our thoughts. On a deeper level, we must recognize that evil thoughts originate in our hearts. If you look at all the items on the list in verse 19, you'll see that all, they are all actions, deeds, and behaviors. And they all come from the heart. The implication here is no small thing. 
We touched on this point back, I think, in uh, session one or so. And that is that our tendency is to monitor our behavior, but we often ignore our hearts, most often ignore our hearts. And a good reason for that is, I mean, how do you monitor your heart, right? Watching our behavior is a simple thing to do. And we usually have lots of help with that, especially if you're married. I really can't get too far off base in my behavior without somebody noticing and letting me know. But my heart, this is a more, this is a lot more complicated. And if Jesus is correct about the items on the list, then we definitely need a new monitoring strategy. And this is so important if we want to learn how to deal with trouble at its source and make improvements in our behavior. Are you wondering about now as to why no one ever taught us to do this? Was Jesus the first to point out the importance of the heart? Nope. Solomon wrote, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And that is Proverbs 4.23, and I was reading from the NASB version. In this portion of scripture, we are commanded to watch over or guard our hearts because our, our lives, our words, our behaviors all flow from our hearts. The heart is the source. You got to get that. The heart is the source. What is in our hearts, good and bad, is translated into words and deeds at some point in time. In time. And uh, since it's hard to know what's going on down, uh, down there in our hearts, uh, this truth can be a bit on the scary side. During those times that we are moved with emotion, we may say to our surprise, I might add, that that really touched my heart. Don't we often say that? Don't you often hear others say that? And on the flip side, there are times when we encounter things that, that should have moved us emotionally, yet we have no response. And then we wonder, what's wrong with me? Why was I the only one not impacted? The only one unmoved? Maybe someone has even accused you of being hard-hearted at one time or another. Men especially may even take a certain amount of pride in the fact that their hearts are not easily moved. But, this is not a good thing. And the reality is that it's probably not even true. Our hearts are mysterious. In Jeremiah 17.9, we read that this prophet asks about the heart, who can understand it? And this is a really good question with the implied answer of nobody. Monitoring our hearts is so important, and we must learn how to do it. Just like the seismic activity of a dormant volcano, what you don't know can hurt you. And what originates in the secret place won't always remain a secret. It will at some point find its way into our homes, offices, and neighborhoods. So now what? What do we do? How do we combat this? How do we guard against this? How do we monitor what's going on in that secret place that has the potential to go public at any time? This is what we'll be discussing in our ne next session, so be sure to be here. And uh, what we've been doing so far with all of our sessions in this series is laying a foundation. 
The foundation will be solidified after our next session, and then we'll really be getting into the nitty-gritty, and I'm really excited about this. This is a really good series, so you need to be here. Uh, please be sure to join us. So anyway, till next time, God bless.